0: I do not know if we're going to have any pianos up in heaven, but I believe we're going to have some piano players up there. (laughs) Uh, This dear sister is a blessing to us. She's a blessing in this church because she likes many, many of the things that I like and that the Word of God talks about. She likes songs that deal with the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is and what he came to do. And we're thankful that she is our pianist in this church. Now, again, this has been a real trial for some of you. Having a pastor that uh, is sitting on a stool I'm very grateful that because of the decor and the, the size of the pulpit, people out in, could I use the word, radio land? <laughs> folk out in our listening audience don't even know I'm sitting on a stool. But I do. And I don't like it any more than you do. But I want you to pray Desperately for the will of the Lord to be done in this church in this pulpit and in the pew as well I have three different doctor appointments to make this week I'm trying my best to run them off as best I can My heart doctor gave up on me last week. She said, I quit. And I've got another heart doctor supposed to see me this week. I'm running them off as quick as I can. I want you to pray for the will of the Lord to be done. If you have your Bibles, and if you don't, you ought to be ashamed. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter number 1. The book of Revelation chapter number one. We try and have tried for the last 40 years as pastor of this church to get you to see the importance of the word of God. When we come together and when we meet here, it's not to show off any talent or any ability of any human being. But it is to get you to look to Christ. It is to get you to look to Him and look to the Word of God and see what the Bible has to say. Revelation chapter number 1. And I'd like to begin with the fourth verse. I was going to read down through verse 18, but to conserve a little bit of time, we'll refer to some of those verses We'll maybe uh, get it down to verse 11 or no more than verse, yeah, verse 11, we'll do it. Verses 4 through 11. Revelation 1, 4 through 11. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He cometh with clouds. Every eye shall see Him. And they also which pierced Him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. Even so. Amen. Many of these writers of Scripture, they had... They had a habit of saying amen once in a while. You notice that? He gets so caught up in reading the word of God, it made them so happy. They said, so be it. Amen. Verse number nine. I, John, am also your brother and companion in tribulation. In the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, I was in the aisle that's called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Now notice each one of these seven churches had a post office. They were local groups of baptized believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as an invisible church in the Bible. The word church itself comes from the Greek word that means assembly, to assemble, ecclesia. Send it to these seven churches. Now, if they don't have post office boxes, don't send it to them. But these churches do. They'll get the message. Send it to Asia. Ephesus, I'm sorry. And unto Smyrna and Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. I want to zero in on verse number 10 for therein is my text. And it says clearly, John is giving a testimony here. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, dear church. The Lord's day. The Lord's day. John is the writer of the book of Revelation. He was perhaps the youngest of the 12 apostles. And at the time of this writing, he was the last apostle alive. He identifies himself in Revelation 1 verse 1. Notice the latter part of that verse. Verse says it's signified by his angel unto His servant John. Notice verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Verse number 9. I John who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. Domitian was the emperor of Rome at the time of this writing. He was a very wicked He was a very bloodthirsty ruler and he demanded of his subjects that everyone call him Lord and God. He thought he was deity personified and if the subject didn't call him Lord and God they were escorted to the den of lions where they were fed to hungry lions as a punishment for their disobedience. Domitian hated Christians, and he put them to death by scores. History records that. He went after John, who was pastor of the church at Ephesus. And when I say he went after him, he he went after him. Tradition says that Domitian took John to Rome and had him placed into a vat of boiling oil but God miraculously intervened and caused him not to be burned he then banned John to spend the rest of his life on the Isle of Patmos to die a very lonely death and it was while on Patmos that John would see he would hear He would feel and he would learn things that he would never forget. God chose him to pen the book of Revelation. Now the text in verse 10 tells us what began to happen to John when he was placed on the Isle of Patmos. John testifies it this way, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, what does it mean to be in the Spirit? John is describing a certain condition of which he is experiencing an unusual presence of the Lord. And he said, I was in the Spirit. On the Lord's day, what does it mean to be in the spirit? It does not mean getting drunk, doesn't mean going down and swigging John barleycorn till you don't know A from B. That's not getting in the spirit. It does not mean shouting and speaking in tongues. Paul presents here, and John also presents here, but Paul especially presents two different mindsets. You will find the answer to that in Romans chapter number 8, what it means to be in the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, the reason I call the reference is because I want you to not forget where I'm preaching this morning. We're preaching on what it means to be in the Spirit, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, watch this, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And if you go down to verse number 4, you'll find that repeated. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Paul presents two different mindsets that God's people are faced with. One is walking in the flesh and the other one is walking in the spirit. One minds the things of the world and one minds the things of the spirit. You cannot do both at the same time. All of God's people ought to be folk who walk according to the Spirit. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He presents it in two ways. First of all, he speaks about the carnal mind. Look down at verse number 7 and 8 of that 8th of Romans. Verse 7 says, But the carnal mind is enmity against God, it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. That's the carnal mind. The man who is a carnal person, that is in his thinking process, his mind is set on pleasing the flesh and doing what the flesh would have him do. And in that 8th of Romans, he speaks about the carnal mind fighting against the sovereignty of God and the lordship of Christ. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. If you have a carnal mind, your mind is at enmity. It's against the God of the Bible, who is a sovereign God, who is a gracious God. It fights against that. It also rebels against the rules and regulations of God's law. Notice it says, for to be carnally minded is death. And in, also in that seventh verse, the latter part of it, it is not subject to the law of God. Do you know why In our world today, and especially in the United States where we live, where it's having such an uprise on crime, and people are doing rotten, ungodly, dirty, inhumane things one to another, and the more blood they can spill, the better off they are. It is because, my dear friends, they have a wrong mindset, they're carnally minded. It also means to stir up the displeasure of God in verse eight of that eighth chapter. Verse eight of that eighth chapter. So then, that are in the flesh cannot please God. We cannot, in our play, in our flesh, we cannot please God, because we have a tendency to be carnally minded. John said, "I was in the spirit on the Lord's day." Now, the spiritual mind according to verse 6 of chapter 8 of Romans, says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's a difference in the two mindsets there. He minds the things of the spirit. The carnal mind minds the things of the flesh. The spiritual man minds the things of the spirit. What does it mean to mind the things of the spirit? It means to intensify. That's what the word in the Greek means. It means to zero in on that which is important, spiritually important, and to intensify. It is a life that produces growth. This note beside of it, you are what you eat, and that's a fact. You eat the wrong thing, you're going to feel badly, and you're going to do badly. And if you eat like you ought to eat, it'll help you along your life way. It is spiritual peace and contentment. To be in the Spirit means you're trusting the Lord for whatever you're facing at that particular moment. You're not trying to work it out and fret it out. You're just trying to trust God for it. It's being spiritual. It's to have the mind of Christ. That's what it means to have the Spirit of the mind it means to be in the spirit to have the mind of Christ 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 15 through 16 says he that is spiritual judgeth all things and the important two words there are all things a spiritual man judges all things that is things that are wrong are wrong, not some of them are wrong, but all of them are wrong. He judgeth all things that are wrong to be wrong. You say, well, I believe one or two things are wrong, but not everything's wrong. Well, you better go back and check the word there. The spiritual man judgeth all things that are wrong. It means to have the mind of Christ who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. But yet we have the mind of Christ. If you have the mind of Christ, you have a spiritual mind. You think about spiritual things. And John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. It means to walk in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's a fact. Walk in the spirit. Conduct your life in the Holy Spirit. And you'll not fulfill the things of the flesh. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him. How? In spirit. And in truth. Worship cannot be done with a carnal Mind, if you'll be honest, I think you'll have to agree with this statement. You try to worship God with a carnal mind, you'll choke to death. You'll find out your prayers don't get even half as close to the ceiling as you thought they did. And there's something wrong inside when we try to hang on to the carnal aspect of of the Christian's life. And still, let others know that we're spiritual. You can't be both carnal and spiritual. When John was on Patmos, he was not thinking about how to escape. I probably would have. When you begin to examine the content of Patmos, what what, what was the content? Nothing. All he could. Be faced with was the roaring of the waves as they beat against the shore. He didn't have any company, none whatsoever. Every morning was the same way. Every night was the same thing. When he was on Patmos, however, he was not thinking about how to escape. He was not complaining about his physical discomforts. Rather, his mind was exercised on spiritual things. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He was thinking about his wonderful Lord and his personal salvation. He was not feeling sorry for himself. He was in the Spirit. He was rejoicing in the Lord. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Raises another question, what is the meaning Of the Lord's day. I was in the spirit. On the Lord's day. This is a. Definite. Time period. I was in the spirit. On the Lord's day. Notice he does not say I was in the spirit. On the day of the Lord. There's a difference between the day of the Lord and the Lord's day. That's so important that you see that. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. There is a day of the Lord. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Joel. It's page number 1112 in my Bible. I don't know what the page number is in your Bible, But it's worth turning to the book of Joel talks about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. John's not talking about I was in the spirit on the day of the Lord. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. In Joel, for instance, chapter number 1, verse number 15. Alas, for the day... For the day of the Lord is at hand and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Oh, it's a terrible thing, the day of the Lord. A lot of folk in God's people and among God's people today have a tendency to believe there's a whole lot wrong with the day of the Lord. But they also believe there's something wrong with the Lord's day. Because they ain't here. Huh? At least if they are, they're hiding behind the pews. I can't see them this morning. They had other things to do. John said, I was in the spirit of the Lord on the Lord's day. In Joel chapter number 2, the day of the Lord. It's important. Blow you the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. It will be a day of darkness, of gloominess, a day of clouds, and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains a great people and a strong. There have not been ever the like, neither shall be any more like it after it, even to the years of many generations. And also in verse number 11 of Joel chapter 2, And the Lord shall utter His voice before His army, for His camp is very great, and he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great. It's very terrible. And who can abide it? Now the day of the Lord has to do with a judgment day that's going to take place during the great tribulation period when Jesus Christ comes again. And he's going to execute judgment on this earth. It's called the day of the of the Lord. John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, not the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord and the Lord's day are not the same. It will help you in your Bible study if you remember that. The day of the Lord refers to a time of judgment which will take place when the great tribulation begins. Never is the day of the Lord called the Lord's day. But John called it the Lord's day. He wasn't talking about the day of the Lord. He was talking about the Lord's day. There is a passage of scripture in Second Thessalonians, chapter number 2, verse number 3, Let no man deceive you by any means for that day. And he's talking about the day of the Lord. Not the Lord's day, but the day of the Lord. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. That's apostasy. And that man of sin be revealed, that's the Antichrist, He will be called the son of perdition. The day of the Lord shall not come until Scripture is fulfilled to bring it in through the Antichrist and the judgment that's going to happen during the second coming of Christ. The Lord's day, put this down, the Lord's day happens once a week every week. 52 weeks out of the year, the Lord's Day happens every week. But the day of the Lord will happen only once and it will happen during the great tribulation period. So now what is the meaning of the Lord's Day? It is not the Jewish Sabbath In the book of Exodus chapter 31, verses 14 through 15 and verse 17, speaking to the Jews and converted Gentiles and converted Jews, you shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. It was called the seventh day. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest holy to the Lord. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested. And Jews believe that to this day that that is the Lord's day, which it is not. It is not the the Lord's day. It's the Jewish Sabbath. The Lord's day of which John is speaking, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. It is a specific day, namely the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Scripture, aren't you glad you asked? In the book of Mark chapter 16 verse number 9. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week. The first day of the week is not Saturday. First day of the week is Sunday. When Jesus had risen early the first day of the week. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Out of whom he had cast seven devils. John 20 Verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst. (coughs) And in Acts chapter 20, verse number 7, and upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread... Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and continued his speech until midnight. We know he did because it got so dark they had to cut the church lights on so they could have a Sunday evening service. The Lord's Day is the Christian Sabbath. The Lord's Day is the Christian Sabbath. Just as the seventh day is the Jewish Sabbath, which commemorates creation, the first day of the week, Sunday, commemorates the resurrection of Christ and is the Sabbath for the church. It is a new creation in Christ Jesus. The Lord attaches His name to that which He owns. He attaches His name to that which he owns. I always like to warn you when the storms to start. The Lord's tithe. Have you ever wondered why the scripture calls it the Lord's tithe? T-I-T-H-E? <laughs> Because it belongs to the Lord. Huh? Come on, Baptist. The Lord said, it is that percentage of our possessions that God claims for his own. And is to be used by him and not by the owner or the giver of it. In the book of Leviticus, chapter number 27... The book of Leviticus chapter number 27 verses 30 and 32 and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod the tenth that's what the word tithe means. Some fella, it's a preacher. I don't know how long he'd been preaching, but he had never come across that, that the tithe was the tenth, and he just said everybody needs to be a tither. He never knew what a tither was. The tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. You know why it's holy unto the Lord? Because God's got his name on it. And he's never taken his name off of it. It is that percentage of our possessions that God claims for his own. Do I believe strictly in tithing that you feel like you've done God a service because you give him 10% of your income? Never in a million years. But I tell you, as a believer in Christ Jesus, please don't try to fudge and go less than 10% when you give a gift to the Lord. Give at least 10%. And more as God abundantly blesses you, you let that be the commensurate measure of it. (laughs) The Lord's tithe. Now that that's good news. We have a president of the United States today that's asking for about seventy-five percent. Say what you want to. Maybe just stop buying groceries. Maybe you don't buy gasoline anymore. Somebody is jacking it up, but God never has. The tenth is holy unto the Lord. If you're not a tither and you claim to be a Christian and God gives you some type of income, you ought to respond by trying to be faithful in this area, not just stopping at the tithe, but giving more. If we give under the law, if it were just under the law, but tithing is also under grace as well as under the law, and being faithful the Lord's tithe. The Lord attaches his name to that which he owns. John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That particular day it was a special day that God had his name on it. The Lord's Day. The Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse number 20, it is the supper which the church observes. It belongs only to the Lord. It doesn't belong to the church. It belongs to the Lord. It's the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 21, this is another name for communion and the Lord's supper which belongs solely unto the Lord. It's the Lord's table. It's not my table, it's the Lord's table. And then the Lord's name in Psalm 68 verse 4. Sing unto God, sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, J-A-H, Jah, Jah, which is short for Jehovah. The name of God is Jehovah. That is his name. We address him by that name. No one else has a right to that name name not even the witnesses quote unquote it belongs to the Lord and then John comes along in our text and says I was in the spirit on the Lord's day it was Sunday that's the Lord's day not the day of the Lord But the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. God has given men six days to work, and He has, and He claims one out of every seven for His day alone. We used to be able to have Wednesday night services with good crowds. But the public school system took care of that situation. There was a time when the public school, my dear friends, honored and revered the Word of God. And Wednesday night, you don't plan anything on Wednesday night. That's church night. But especially you don't plan anything on Sunday. That's the day, the Lord's Day. Up in Appomattox, Virginia, I was in a meeting up there And one morning, as we, the pastor and I, were going over to church, we passed by one church. It must have had a zillion cars. I'm not quite sure how many a zillion might be, but I never saw so many cars parked around the church in my life. I said, well, brother, they must be having a real worship service. He said, worship me. I It's a cheerleaders conference. Statewide cheerleaders conference. Parents bring the kids to Appomattox on that particular day, and they meet to honor the cheerleaders. Well, what in the world ever happened to the Lord's day? I want to know. It's where we are today. That's why so many pastors are having to preach to half-filled churches today. Of course, some of them don't try to preach. They try to entertain. But those even who try to preach, it's hard to get a baker's dozen anymore. I don't know exactly how many a baker's dozen is, but it's difficult to get a baker's dozen anymore. Look around you. How many folks do you see here this morning? How many empty pews do you see? About the same amount you'll see next Sunday morning. You know why? We're missing it. We've taken that which belongs to the Lord and we're using it on us to do what we want to do when we want to do, and how we want to do. God have mercy on us. Don't get mad at me. Here it is. (laughs) Get mad at this. Now, these statements don't really apply to you. But if they do, You don't have to tell anybody. If you take the Lord's tithe, you're a thief. Why is that so? Because it belongs to Him. Got His name on it. If you claim the Lord's Supper as your own, you're a thief. If you take God's name for your own, you're a thief. If you use God's day for your own... You're a thief, I'm a thief. John didn't even come close to that. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What did John experience on the Lord's day? We'll try to rush through this, but I will mention several things. First of all, he experienced the Word of God on the Lord's day. Look at verse number 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard and behind me there was a great voice as of a trumpet. I heard something on the Lord's day. Heard a trumpet. The sound of a trumpet. John was all alone on Patmos. Nobody else there. He had not the comfort of another human being, but out of the clear, God spoke to him. And, dear friends, God does that today. God speaks to his people. And many, many times he speaks to them when they're in church with an open Bible and an open heart, seeking his will and seeking his way. God speaks today. Then there was the matter of the church of God. Notice verse 12 of Revelation 1 and verse 20. In verse 12 said, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And he tells you what these candlesticks represent in verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars. Which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which you saw are the seven churches. Isn't that amazing? Domitian put him on Patmos to get him away from the church, and lo and behold, he's surrounded by seven churches. (laughs) Yes, sir. The church of the Lord. Number three, the Son of God. In Revelation 1, 13 through 16, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Now the wearer of this uniform is the Son of Man. That's the Lord Jesus Christ notice his address. notice his dressing, notice his clothes, he's girt about like a judge, girt about the loins. He's coming to judge. He came the first time to seek and to save that which was lost. He's coming the second time to judge this world. John saw that. Read on. Verse 14, his head and his hairs were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass as if they burned in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. He saw the Lord. He saw the Lord Jesus before he died. Did he not? He was one of the twelve disciples. He became one of the twelve apostles. He saw the Lord before he died. He saw the Lord immediately after his resurrection along with some others who viewed the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. But now he sees the Lord and where is the Lord? In the midst Of the churches. Why should that surprise us? Upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the world has been trying to prevail against the church ever since. But God forbid that Christians try to prevail against the church. Ain't nothing wrong with the church. But me and you, it's certainly not him. He's the Lamb of God and he loves his people to be in church. And he meets with his people when they come to church. And all of his people ought to be in church. And then he describes the humility that it produced in verses 17 and 18. When I saw him... You know, once in a while somebody will try and write a, a song and they it's a religious song and they want to put something in it that nobody else has thought about before so they can sell a, a large number of records or whatever. And so they talk about, boy, when I, uh, Jesus and I got a good thing going. I mean, I see him and I walk up to him, Jesus, you have that thing shaking today, Lord. No, you're talking to God Almighty. John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not, I'm the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. And he still does. What humility John must have felt. I believe these experiences of John can be even our experiences on a weekly basis, but it hinges on one thing. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. We have so many demands that are placed upon us, dear ones. So many places we have to go. So many things we have to do. And six days just isn't enough time. And I need one more day. So I'll just take that which God says is His day and make it my day to catch up. Now, I'm glad... I'm speaking today to those who didn't come. Not to those who did come. But just in case it pinched a little bit, let it pinch. Folks, something is happening to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today. It is being neglected full time. Now somebody's going to pay for that and we can dress up, and we can come and put on our Sunday best, and we can sing, and we can go through all the motions and never have the spirit John was talking about. I'll tell you this, and if the Lord will help me, I'll close up. You've been so kind this morning. My wife and I had the privilege of going to Hardin-Simmons University. We called it Hardin Centers. Finding a place to live was a very difficult thing and to make a story short, it happened to be in a duplex apartment. On one side of that duplex apartment was a little old lady. How old was mom Anthony? Two, three hundred years old? She's a pretty old woman. Every hair in her head was white. She had the She had the look of glory always on her face and perhaps is one of the greatest Christians I've ever met in my life. She went down to University Baptist Church. That's where her membership was and she wanted to teach a class and they thought, you can meet with the older people they meet in classroom number 42 or whatever. She said, I want to teach young people. And they said, well, all of our positions are taken up. She said, I want to make one. Have you got a room around this church somewhere, just a room, that I could use on Sunday morning? Well, yeah, we we have a room. This University of Baptist Church in Abilene, Texas, we have a room you could use. She said, I want you to let me take that room and meet with, I will call them on, I will invite people, not those that are coming right now. I would get new people who have you never even heard of before? Did you know before you knew it? She had packed that room out because she wanted to be used for God in His church, and the church meant something to her. And I could take so much of your time describing other things. She went to Africa. She said, Brother Kozart, I'm going to Africa as a missionary. My soul, she's old, old woman. And when she came back, she said, you know what? I took two aspirins with me and brought one of them back. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? And she loved the Lord. I asked Nora this morning as we pulled out of our drive to come to church. Did you ever hear mom? We called her Mom Anthony. Mom Anthony. She wrote a book. Here am I. I have it in my library. But she, I said, honey. Did you ever hear her say, well, I just don't think I'll go to church today. i got so much to do. Did you ever hear her say that? Did you ever hear her say, well, I'm planning a vacation, and I, 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 I won't be in church for about four or five weeks now, but I, did you ever? No! Every Sunday morning, brother, let's get up and go to church. That's back when people used to go to church. We need to pray for this church. You sure need to pray for your pastor. That you need God's man in this church to lead you and guide you according to his word. But we need to pray for our church. You say, well, we believe the right thing. What you believe is not worth a dime if it doesn't transform your life or his church. Come on. I love you. And I've loved you dearly for over 40 years when we started this work. And I'm here only by the grace of God because I feel that it is God's will at this particular time. I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know about next week. But I know about now. And I want us to see somewhat of what John meant when he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Thank you so much for listening. Let's stand, please, for prayer.